Let the children of God say amen. amen. Let the children of God say amen again. Amen. How blessed we are to be God's people in God's place for God's purpose to receive God's word so that hopefully we'll be better as God's people. And for that, God deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. We give thanks to God for allowing us to be able to be in the assembly when there are many who are not able to make it to the assembly. But it's not enough that we merely assemble, but it's what we do when we assemble. And it's because we're allowed to assemble that I have to give God some praise in this place on this morning. There are many who are in hospital beds, many who are behind prison bars, many who want to be here, many who are even in their beds but just could not get enough gumption to get up and be here. So it's because that I am here that I'm going to sing like I might not have a chance to sing anymore. I'm going to pray like I might not have an opportunity to pray anymore. And I'm going to hear a word just in case I don't hear another word anymore. Understand, this opportunity is not by coincidence, but it's only by God's providence. I don't know about you, but I sure enough have missed Gray Road. Say amen when you can. I had a good time in Indianapolis, and contrary to Clyde's belief, I did not get snowed in. Say amen when you can. But I am more than grateful to be at home, for there's no place like home. I want to thank Clyde, even though his family's in Florida this morning, for preaching for me last week and doing it Marshall Keeble style. Say amen. Uh, from what I hear, folk were just getting baptized left and right while I was gone. But we're thankful for those men who've given their life to Jesus on, on last week, as well as prayerfully someone will make that decision on this morning. We want to be cognizant that there are bleeding hearts amongst us, uh, those who are grieving and those who are mourning, specifically the Leach family. Sandra was buried on yesterday. And we pray for continued comfort for that family at this time. Uh, Brother Sturdivant, as we know, one of our longtime pillars and one of our deacons has passed. And we want to have prayer specifically for Sister Cather and for those who are supporting the Sturdivant family at this time. And we know the funeral services for Brother Sturdivant are on Tuesday. And we pray that you will be with us. Meet me, if you will, in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. As you turn there, good to see some people who've been sick here recently. I've not been able to be with us. I wasn't here last week, so good to see those of you who came back last week but are still here with us. We're blessed. Those of you who've been traveling, some as far as Japan, good to see you back. And also, we want to recognize and pray for those who are traveling. We know it's spring break, y'all. Uh, so we got five or six families who are enjoying Florida, but I'll take that Cincinnati sunshine any day. Say amen. First Timothy chapter number one. Meet me there in verse number 12. First Timothy chapter number one. When you find yourself there at verse number 12, let us be standing for the holy, infallible, and inerrant word of God. First Timothy chapter number one, beginning there at verse number 12. 
When there, Paul is speaking to the young man named Timothy, who is currently 30 years old and to whom is under his tutelage. And here, Paul speaks to Timothy as such. I thank him who has given me strength. What's his name? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because he has considered or judged me to be faithful and appointed me to his service, even though, even though, even though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But guess what? I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. If you have some time this morning, I want to speak from the thought, the road between grace and mercy. The road between grace and mercy. You may be seen in the presence of the Lord. At this time, let us go to God in prayer. Devilly, kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have done and what you are doing right now in our very lives. Father, be with those under the sound of my voice. Father, open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears to hear a word coming straight from you via your manservant. This time be with your manservant, Father. Help me to stand flat-footed and firm upon your word. Not upon my thoughts or feelings, my ideology, my psychology, my philosophy, Father. But, Father, let your word be true in every man a liar. Father, use me as your servant. Use me as your instrument, Father. Put me back together again and play me masterfully. Father, let your words come from my mouth. I'm nothing but a vessel. Father, use me as long as you see benefit. Bless your servant. Bless your people through the treasures of your word. Lift your servant up as I in turn lift you even higher. Get yourself all the glory and the praise. Father, bless the word. Father, bless your servant. Father, bless us all as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The road between grace and mercy. The road between grace and mercy. Notice as we find ourselves ten verses removed from Paul's greeting and salutation in his letter to Timothy. Before he instructs Timothy in regards to the weightier matters 
of his writing. He first is compelled to tell him that, Timothy, young man, I am not perfect. Before he does anything else, before he lays down the foundation of church administration, he has Timothy, young man, I am not perfect, but rather I am perfecting. And Timothy, trust me, it's only by God's grace that I was saved. And it's only by God's mercy that I'm still living. I commend you to God and into the power of his might to encourage you for greater service and ministry. But I am here to remind you first that God is more than sufficient. Timothy, listen closely. His grace is more than sufficient. His mercy is more than sufficient. His power is more than sufficient. His might is more than sufficient. He has what you need, young man, not just for interrupts, but also for eternity. I am an old man, but I can testify that God will give you more than you need if you just keep your hand in his hand. I can sympathize, Timothy, with David when he said in Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. Understand, Timothy, I'm purporting these truths not because of an intellectual position or even a theological position, but rather from an experiential position. Timothy, I know God for myself. I've tried him and I know that he's shown enough good. I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of God. Take this advice from an older man to a younger man, if you're ever going to preach, if you're ever going to mature, if you're ever going to be successful as a child of God, then you're going to need God because what God can give you can't nobody else give you and God will give you what you need even when you don't need no more. He gives us what we want. Timothy, I'm not talking about what I heard. I'm talking about what I know. I'm not talking about this as an intellectual. I'm not talking about this as an exegete. I'm not talking about this from a theological position. I know them for myself. I'm talking from experience. Timothy, young man, God has been there when I was hungry. God has been there when I was poor. God was there when I was sick. God was there when people hated me. God was there when people abandoned me. God was there when I spent a little time in jail. God was there when I was bitten by the snakes. And Anybody here know about some snakes? Every snake you know don't crawl on their belly. There's some snakes that slither on two legs. I wish I had somebody in here. 
Every snake don't have a forked tongue. Some snakes talk out of both sides of their mouth. But Timothy, God has been there with me even when I dealt with the snakes. Timothy, when I was lost, God found me. When my own folk turned their back on me, that's when he shined his face on me. When I was thrown out, he decided to pick me up. When I wasn't even there for him, he was still there for me. Timothy, I need you to know that I know what I'm talking about. Before I teach you theology, let me tell you about some life experience because your theology will be dictated by your life experience. What's theology, Jeremy? Theology is how we see God. And some of us don't see God. Clearly. Because trials and tribulations have not yet overtaken our lives. Have you lived long enough to have some things go wrong? And things have gone so wrong in your life, you're trying to look for what's right? And when you start looking for what's right, you find God? And you see God more clearly now than you've ever seen him before? Because your life experience has cleared up your theology. I know when you're 14, you might not see God clearly as you need to. But when you're 44 and your marriage is crumbling, then you see God all for yourself. You might not see him at 44, but let's go to 64. And the doctor tells you that your health is failing you. And now you see him more clearly than you've ever seen him before. You might not see him at 64, but when you're 84 and you learn that hospice has to to come into your house you see God more clearly than you ever have before how do you see him more clearly Jeremy because I seem to get closer to him every time I go through something I seem to get closer to him every time I go in and he brings me out and the closer I get to him the more I can see him therefore life experience has a way of changing my theology now Timothy I'm about to tell you some theology I'm about to tell you how to deal with older men and younger men and older women and younger women I'm about to tell you how to conduct yourself as a young man in the household of God I'm about to tell you not to lay hands suddenly on any man especially when you ordain elders and deacons for the kingdom service. I'm about to get to all that. I'm about to tell you to keep your life pure, to keep the doctrine pure, to be a righteous young man. But if you don't know what I've been through, then you don't know where you're going. So I gotta stop by telling you that God is a good God and he can do anything but fail. I gotta stop by telling you that I'm a recipient of his grace. That's why I stand before you saved. But even though I'm saved, I still need his mercy day after after day after day after day I don't know it don't matter how old I might be but I'm still on the road from grace to mercy I don't know if you understand it but you got grace that's why you're sitting here on today you got grace that's why you are a child of God you got grace that's why your children are still at home you got grace that's why your marriage is still together you got grace that's why there's still some money in the bank. You got grace. That's why you still eat every day. You got grace even though your body might have changed your faith has not changed. You got the grace honey but understand there's a road from grace to mercy because even though I got all the grace I still need mercy because I still slip up. I still trip up. I still mess up and God has to be merciful to me. I need his mercy 
sin in addition to his grace. So don't mind me, Timothy. I'm going to tell you all about my mess ups. But understand that was covered by grace. That was covered by the blood. That was covered because I didn't know no better. But even when I do know better, Brother Barry, I still need some mercy. There's some folk being in the church for 15 to 20 years and you still do what you used to do and you wonder why you're still alive? Honey, it's because of God's mercy in your life. I'm about to get theological, but let me first be pragmatic. That's what Paul is trying to convey to Timothy. Wasn't none of that in my notes, but it felt good right there. There's a difference between grace and mercy. And some of us just say it so flippantly. I want God's grace and mercy. Do you know how powerful that is? That's not just rhetoric. That's a realization. That's saying, I need what I had, and I need what I'm going to get. I need God's grace and God's mercy. Let me go and get to the text. I can't do my prelude now. I didn't preach too long and too hard. Verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. Let me, let me, let me get to my text. I done got too happy too soon. Uh, Paul says, Timothy, I thank him. Why do I thank him? For he has given me strength. Timothy, church, God is worthy of all praise. If for no other reason, because he has given us what we can't give ourselves. And that is strength and endurance. Especially as it relates to the things, trials, and tribulations of this life. The text in its English configuration would have you believe that God has once given me strength. And that would be phallusaical because you're taking God in the past tense. But see, if you really know God, then you know God is not just the giver of strength. I know it's bad English, but it's good preaching. You know that God is just not the giver of strength. But he's the giver of strength. Not only did he give us strength, but he continually gives us strength. Thus giving birth to the Greek aortis tense that God is really continually giving us strength. He's giving us strength over and over and over and over again. This strength here gives a word picture of a fountain. If you've ever seen a fountain, a fountain doesn't need new water. All a fountain got to do is recycle water. And as it recycles the water, it continually purifies the water. God's saying, not only did I give strength, but I give strength. 
and I give strength continually. I give strength over and over and over and over again. I'm like a fountain. I just keep giving you what I've already gave you, but as I give it to you, I'm continuously purifying it in your life. Don't you know that God not gave you strength, but God continually gives us strength. He gives us strength over and over and over and over again. It gives birth to what Paul said in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse number 13, for I can do all things through Jesus Christ who what? Gives continually me strength. Better phrased, I can do all things. Why? Because Christ gives me all strength. There's no situation that cannot be satisfied by his strength. And when we talk about God's strength, we're not talking about increased anatomical muscular capacity, but we're talking about improved mental and spiritual resolve, meaning that because of God's strength, people don't bother me like they used to. Because of God's strength, situations don't bother me like they used to. Because of God's strength, things don't bother me like they used to. Because of God's strength, I address things differently now than I would have five years ago. Understand, God's strength does change me. Though from a physical sense, my muscular strength may be in decline as I humanistically age, but as I spiritually mature, I only get stronger with age. Spiritually, because now, as I continuously mature, I trust more. I'm patient more. I got more restraint. I talk differently now than I would have done when I was younger. And y'all looking at me funny. See, some of y'all think grandma was always as sweet as she is right now. I'm here to tell you, grandma wasn't always as sweet as she is now. You may know her as the peppermint lady or the butterscotch lady, but had you saw her at 25, I wish I had somebody in here. Grandma's so loving. Grandma knows just what to say. Grandma's so patient. That's only because she's spiritually matured as God has continuously given her strength. It's amazing. You got to look at the conversation. It's a young, it's an old man to a young man. He's saying, look here, son, you about to preach the gospel. Look here, son, you about to be a child of God. But you need to know what God can do for you if you just stay faithful over time. He'll take you from grace to mercy. He will give you strength. He will change your life. Understand the fact. Let's go on. I can't get too happy yet. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that what he has considered and or judged depending on your version me faithful and he has appointed me to his service. Let's look at considered and judged me faithful. Timothy, notice I am faithful. Not necessarily because of my past, but because of my potential. Church, that's why God is the ultimate judge. Because God has the propensity to not only judge my past, but he can look past my past into my present. And he can look past my present into my potential. Somebody missed your shot. 
at 11 o'clock in the morning. That's why God sits up high and looks down low. That means he can see places where I've yet to go. That's why the old adage is true. He has done better for me than I can do for myself. He can do better for you because he can see things that you can't. And God and his infinite wisdom sometimes judges and prepares us not for our present and not because of our past, but rather he judges us and prepares us for our potential. Paul says that God considered me faithful because he knows what I can do and he knows what I will do when my can meets his will. I'm so glad God doesn't take me as I am, but he takes me as I will be. And I know if God is blessing me as I am, then I got some hope that I will be better then than I am now. Not only did Christ consider me to be faithful, but the original language gives credence to the fact that Christ also judges him and us to be faithful. Jeremy, how can I be faithful in all the stuff I'm into? How can I be faithful in all the wrong I've done? Understand the fact that Christ judges us not on our present, but our potential. Notice Paul is very adamant in giving Christ credit for his strength, meaning he is specific in terms as to who gives him strength. But it's amazing that the same person who gives him strength is the only person that can judge him. That's why we as mere humans alone do not have the capacity to judge anyone. Because human judgment brings condemnation. As to where godly judgment brings strength and hope. Beware letting folk weaken you as they judge you. And then you all sad and somber because you feel folk are passing judgment on you. Honey, I'm not going to let anybody judge me who's there weakening me. And I'm sure not going to let anybody judge me who's weaker than me. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who has the capacity to judge has declared me innocent. Not because of my current, but because of my capacity. Not only did he judge me according to the facts, but more importantly, he judged me according to his grace. Justice is not what he or what we should desire because in the eyes of justice, we are all guilty. And by the facts alone, we would be convicted. But it's because of Jesus that my conviction was overturned for my conversion. Paul says, not only did Jesus consider me or judge me, but he also justified me. Some of y'all missed that, the power in that word right there. Oh, if I was Richard Rose, I would say, preach Rose. Richard Rose would tell you that justify is a powerful word. 
Because justified means he declared me as innocent. It doesn't mean I was innocent. But he declared me. Meaning what? His declaration overlapped my deeds. If I was judged by my deeds, I'd be damned. But I'm judged by his declaration. Y'all don't see the power of that. Okay. Not just that I wasn't innocent, but the jury came back with the verdict. And I was guilty. But the judge then vacated the verdict and entered in his own verdict. See, a jury has to look at the facts and then determine beyond a reason of a shout. I wish I had somebody in here. Though they had a reason beyond a shadow of a doubt, God said, your reasoning is not sufficient. You told me Carl is guilty, and I know he's guilty, but because of my son's blood, I'm going to declare him innocent. Somebody has decided to step in his place. I'm so glad that when the jury of my life says one thing, the judge has a propensity to say another. Because the jury of my life would turn their backs on me. The jury of my life would find me guilty. And even if I wasn't guilty, they would allow me anyway. But in being truthful, Timothy, I'm sinful. But God vacated my past. What else did he do? He appointed me to his service. Meaning what? He set me up. He fixed me. He established me. And guess what? Whoever does the appointing, can't nobody else overturn it. So when folks say, I know who you really are. You think you're fooling somebody going down to that church? You say, God appointed me. And can't nobody take it back. When they say, you think you're really somebody now? You want to be a deacon for real? Don't you know what you did when you were in college? Don't you know how much you used to drink? How much you used to smoke? How, I wish I had somebody in here. I'm trying to stop short. Y'all not helping me. After all you used to do, you say, no, I was appointed for his service. Whoever does the appointing, can't nobody overturn it. And just like in government, some people get appointed who don't even deserve it. You ever heard the term governmental appointee? And all the rest of the folk got to qualify for their job, got to have the right education and the right experience, and then somebody gets appointed and they don't have the education or the experience, and you say, how in the world are they a governmental appointee? They must have knew somebody to climb up that high Honey, child, sister, girl, and brother, man, I'm here to tell you I'm appointed by God for his service, and I didn't deserve it. My education didn't get me there. My experience didn't get me there. And when you ask why I was appointed, it's because I knew somebody. I was appointed for his service. Why? Because he's given me strength. And by his blood, he made me innocent so that I can now serve him. Let me tell you something before I get back to preaching. 
none of us, none of us by ourselves as we are can effectively render service unto God. None of us as we are could stand in as his priest. But it's only because and when we've been accepted into the priesthood that we can then render effective service unto God. Understand this priesthood that I'm talking about is not obtained by application. It's not obtained by aptitude or praying the sinner's prayer or tearing for the Holy Ghost or weeping and wailing. The priesthood now, just like it was in the times of old, can only be obtained by birth. Somebody missed your shout. It can only be obtained by birth. And it's by the right birth that we now have a birthright. Man must be born again. I want to serve God just like they did in the days of old. Well, understand it was the priest who worked in the tabernacle. It was the priest who worked most closely to the ark. It was the priest who did the things of the kingdom. Well, I want to be a priest. Well, you got to be born again. There are a whole lot of folk calling themselves priests, but they have not been born again. People would say, well, how in the world could everybody be a priest even today? Everybody who's a child of God is a priest. It was Peter who told us, for you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Everybody is a priest. Why? Because everybody is a worker in the tabernacle and all the kingdom of God. But you can't be a priest by man's way. You can only be a priest by God's way. And the only way you could be a priest back in the day was if you were born in the right lineage. Oh, I'm so glad that the Lord allows me to be a priest today, but I gotta have the right birth if I'm gonna have a birthright. Well, how in the world at the age of 30 am I gonna be born again? Well, I'm so glad you asked. I believe it was John chapter 3 when Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus and Jesus was telling Nicodemus that you must be born again and Nicodemus being an intellectual he said hold on wait a minute how can a man be born again is he expected to go back once more into his mother's womb Jesus is saying that's not what I'm talking about it's not a birth from the womb but rather it's a regeneration by water and last time I checked water is symbolic of the tomb. I wish I had somebody in here. He said John chapter 3 verse number 5 unless a man be born of water and of spirit he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So what's your point preacher? You can't serve God all on your own. It's only because God took a special interest in you. It's only because God showered his grace upon you. It's only because God was patient with you and God is saying in my patience and in my grace you you ought to come unto me so I can use you for service in my kingdom. But I can't use you for service until you become a priest. You can't become a priest until you're born uh-huh, in the right lineage. And you can't be born unless you go in water. For what man must be born of water and of spirit. Man must be baptized into Christ. Give death to the old man. Come out of the tomb. Be born again. Be rejuvenated. 
being now a child of God. It's because you've now been reborn that now you are connected to Jesus Christ by blood. I wish I had somebody. And it's now that you are a part of Jesus, that now you're part of the family, you're part of the lineage, and you're part of the priesthood. Why? Because you're not just related to a priest, but you're related to a high priest. Last time I checked in Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus is the high priest, and he's somebody who can understand our suffering. He's been up there, and he's been down here, and now he can reign up there because he understands what we went through down here. Last time I read New Testament, it tells me that Christ suffered and was tempted at all points, but still was found to be sinless. That's why he can serve as my priest, because he knows how God lives, and he knows how man lives. This ain't in my notes, but let me put it right here. There are some people of the Catholic faith who go and do they dirt, and then they feel guilty about it. Then they go down uh-huh, to, the, to the church house, and they sit out and talk to a man in a booth and tell the man in the booth all their sins because the hope is that that man will be able to stand between you and God and then be able to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Honey, who does the priest go to? Because the priest has his own sins. The only person who can tell me about me to God is somebody who has lived as I live but did it right. That's why Hebrews 7, 17 says, Jesus is the high priest forever by order of Melchizedek. Move on, preacher. I will. That's just verse number 12. Y'all pray for me. I know I ain't going to finish, but it's going to feel real good right here. Verse number 13. He appointed me for a service, even though formerly, even though back then, how many of us got a story of back then? Because if my right now was dependent on my back then, my right now would not be where it is. He did so many good things for me, even though formerly, and I'm here to tell you, regardless of your back then, this is a safe place because God makes sinners saints. And the more probable your damnation, the more sweeter your reconciliation. See, some of us have fake, falsetto relationships with God. And it's because we think if we never came to God, we might have been saved anyway. But then there's some mess ups like me and like those who say amen when you can. Who says, I know I probably would be damned. And since I was found when I was lost, I have a special type of relationship that folk don't understand. And that's why when you do get happy, people don't understand. And next time somebody looks at you crazy, when you're praising God, just tell them, I should have been dead. 
I should have been damned. You don't know he really did save my life. If you were sinking out at sea and a man came with a boat and threw you a lifesaver and drug you back to the boat, when you got out of that water, you would be shouting so loud and you would say, Brother Frank, I give you anything you want. I do whatever you need. I'm forever indebted to you. But I need somebody to know that there were a lot of us Matter of fact, all of us were sinking far from the peaceful shore. But the master heard my cry and he came out to where I was and he lifted me. Now safe am I. I know it's love that lifted me. I ain't got time to sing. Let me get back to preaching now. Understand the fact that I had a back then and I'm glad I have a right now. Understand, Paul is saying, look at me if you want an example. Because I ain't going to get this. I might as well beat myself there. Look at me as an example. Why? Because I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the worst. And you might have a story, but it's not reminiscent of Paul's story. Somebody in here might have served time in jail, but it wasn't for murder. Somebody here might be a murderer, but I guarantee you ain't killed as many folk as Paul did. Meaning what? If God can use him, he still can use you. This ought to be one place where your past don't matter. This ought to be a safe place. You don't have to do an application and say if you've been convicted of a crime, this ought to be a safe place. You ain't got to tell us how many folk you've been with. This ought to be a safe place. You ain't got to tell us what you've experimented with. This ought to be a safe place. Why? Because grace brought you to this place and mercy covers this place. I ain't going to preach what I wanted to preach this morning, but it's all right. We're going to let the Lord do his thing. Now, it shows me that if God found use for him, he can find use for me. Paul was a murderer. God found use for him. That shows me his grace. <clears throat> Perhaps you like to get drunk every now and then. God used Noah, a man who got sloppy drunk. Oh, grandma would say something else. Say amen when you can. He got sloppy drunk. But prior to that, he filled the ark of old which is the prototype of salvation. That shows me his grace. Perhaps you like to cuss. Well, God used Peter to preach the first gospel sermon. That shows me his grace. Perhaps you got a thing for women and men who don't belong to you. Well, God used David and his adulterous affair to give birth to the wisest man who ever lived, 
and who constructed an earthly place for God's dietetical presence that shows me his grace. Don't tell me what God can't do. Don't tell me who God can't use. I'm not saying that God condones sinful behavior, but I am stating that our salvation is not predicated as much as it is on our performance as it is on his patience, and I'm so glad that God has been patient with me. Paul's poignant point here is that God can take your story and use it for his glory. And God gets glory whenever a sinner becomes a saint. He gets glory whenever a dope dealer becomes a hope dealer. He gets glory whenever the haughty gets humble. He gets glory whenever the doubtful get delivered. He gets glory when a tramp becomes his temple. He gets glory when a pimp becomes his promoter. You ain't got to look at me like that. Just say amen when you can because you know what I'm talking about is right. It might not be in the words that you like it in, but we all know some people like that because we is some people like that. Ooh, y'all looking at me strange like y'all ain't never heard them words before. <laughs> I'm about to close. I'm about to close. I promise you. Let's look at mercy. Mercy speaks of giving aid. To he who does not deserve it. That's why I say, now we walk by mercy. We get help even though we don't deserve it. Notice there are some humanistic adages that sound good in conversation, but have nothing to do with the canonicity of Scripture. Remember, Grandma used to say, when it rains outside, God is crying. Ain't got nothing to do with scripture. You ever heard when thunder rolls that God is just moving furniture? God don't need no furniture. You ever heard that God would never put more on us than we can bear? See, that sounds good, don't it? But it has nothing to do with the canonicity of Scripture. Every funeral I go to, folk get up there not knowing what they're talking about. It's all right that it's raining today, saints, because it just means God is crying over our loved one. Where do you get that from? Where you know it's going to be all right, family, because God never put more on us and we can bear God said, things will come on you that you can't bear. But guess what? I always give you a way of escape. That's why even in Old Testament, it says what? Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but what? In all. But here's another one. Honey, God helps those who help themselves. No, he doesn't. The merciful God I know helps those even when they don't help themselves. That's what mercy is. Sometimes we get help and we weren't even trying to get help. We were trying to do the wrong thing and God made us do the right thing. 
You ever showed up at the wrong place to do the wrong thing and the wrong thing just didn't happen? Now see, I, I, I know, I know y'all saved, sanctified, and holy. But honey, the only reason you are where you are ain't because of you. It's because God messed up what you had planned. Girl, I don't know why she had them babies. I made it all the way to marriage and I didn't have no baby. It ain't because of you. It's because God didn't let it happen what should have happened. That's called he showed you his mercy. Okay, let me stop messing around. Now, look here, I, I, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Why? Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Understand when he says, look here, I did all kind of things, but I didn't know any better. See, a lot of folk in the church will say, well, I messed up and it's okay because Paul was the chiefest of sinners. I don't know when chiefest became a word, but that's a whole other story for downside. Anyway, now, Paul was a chief of sinners when he was ignorant. What's your excuse? See, something ought to change when you come from ignorance to knowledge. Paul says, I was ignorant. Then I got grace. Grace and the blood of Christ wiped all that out. Now I work continuously in his mercy to outdo what was done before his grace. That's why some people are still living amongst us. Because God in his perfect patience, we'll talk about that tonight, is giving you enough time to clean up what you've messed up. See, I don't know. Perfect patience. You know why I'm still living, Timothy? I don't deserve to be here. I was a chief of sinners. I did a whole lot of things when I was ignorant, but his patience brought me and brings me to where I am. And that's why this saying is worthy and a full acceptance that Christ came to save sinners. We'll talk about that tonight. Of whom I'm the chiefest. We'll talk about that tonight. That he might display his perfect patience in me. Now, let me, let me, let me, let me summate this so I can sit down. God didn't have to, but he found me anyway. By his grace. His grace, he said, Ephesians 2 and 8 and 2 and 9, we're saved by grace through faith. We don't believe in a grace-only religion. God's grace must meet your faith. God's grace must meet the truth. You can have all the grace you want to, but if you don't submit to the truth, you will be damned on the last day. And if you won't take God's grace, then don't try to cry out for God's mercy. Because to him, who did not accept the faith, even though he had the grace, God won't have the mercy on the last day. 
It will be merciless for the one who did not accept Jesus, who did not accept the faith. See, grace, faith, truth, salvation, it, love, it all goes together, but it has to go in a specific equation. Just like mathematics, y'all know flowers ain't good at math. But when you do math, you got to structure it correctly for the answer to be right. You can't want his grace, skip over his faith and truth, but then want his mercy. You won't come to the right answer. It's not until you have his grace, add it with your faith. As now you're a child of God, continue to act in the confines of his mercy, then you shall be saved. Because faith alone can't do it. James says faith without works is dead. But faith and works can alone do it. Because even though I have faith, even though I have works, at the end I'm going to need his mercy. And even with God's grace and mercy added to my faith and works, grandma say you're going to get in by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> Meaning what? You're not going to deserve it even then. But praise God for giving me what I don't deserve. I'm on the road from grace to mercy. I thank God for his grace, but I thank God that he keeps enveloping me in his mercy. And guess what else I'm happy for? I'm glad he's patient. He ought to get rid of me, but he keeps giving me more time. The question is, what are you going to do now that you have more time? Let's be standing and not singing. Let's be standing and not singing. I ain't finished, but I better be through. Say amen when you can. If perchance you are here this morning and you are a child of God and you sin, you strayed away, you've not been a good example of what God has allowed you to be, you've received his grace but you haven't acted within the confines of his grace. You received his mercy, but then you go and show out like you don't have his mercy. If you know you're not in a right relationship with God, if he were to come right now, would you look like him? Because guess what? If you don't look like him, he's not taking you home. If you can't say I'm in a right relationship right now, if you can't say I look like the Lord, if you can't say if he came right now, he'll take me with him, you ought to be knocking somebody over to get down from And say, Lord, in the words of Reggie Head, I want to fix it. I want to make it right. I want to get it better. For married folk familiar with Paul's note to the Ephesians, never go to bed on your anger. Some of us don't follow that, but that's a whole other subject for a whole other time. If you don't want to go to bed with your husband angry, and he's your household head, then why do you want to go to bed and the head of all things is angry with you? And you know why he's angry. He's angry because you have played around with his grace and his mercy. I'm doing right by you and you still keep doing the wrong thing. I give you time and time again and you still keep doing the wrong thing. You use my name in vain. You like to be with me when everybody else is around, but when you by yourself, get it right.
Will you come to Jesus even now? If perchance you're not a child of God, not a baptized believer, and you're looking for truth, you're looking for peace, you're looking for transformation, you're looking for change, will you come get it? It's only in Jesus. If Christ can save Paul, why don't you think he can't save you? No matter what you've done, God's grace is and it'll be covered by the blood. You've been addicted to substances that, that, were, that you shouldn't have had, he can cover it by the blood. You've been with folk you shouldn't have been with, he can cover it by the blood. You've said things you ought not have said, he can cover it by the blood. His grace is more than sufficient. He showed you time and time again, I can save him and him and him and him, and I said all that so I can save you. But God is patient. And see, some of you have taken advantage of his patience. You come to church every Sunday, you won't become a child of God, you won't become a baptized believer, you won't come in contact with his blood because you're hoping for the next time. And you know God is patient, God, but guess what? Patience runs out. And sad to face the judgment to meet that God. Because you have no excuse. If you're here for the first time today, when you leave here, you have no excuse for not being a child of God. When you've heard what it takes for you to be a child of God. Now he's patient with you. He says, look, I brought you to the right place to do the right thing. Will you do it? You must first hear the word of God. You've heard me. I'm loud enough. You must believe that he is. He's a one of those who diligently seek him. You must repent, meaning what I will turn from where I am to where he wants me to be. You must confess he's the sweetest name that can ever roll off a mortal's tongue. There's no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved, Acts 4 and 12. Must he baptize in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. Live faithful unto death, Revelations 2 and 10. Come to Jesus. Now here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Seems like a formula, but I'm going to tell you something. It all stands with do you believe? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, will you walk down these aisles and confirm it so? If you believe, you'll repent. If you believe, you'll confess. If you believe, you'll be baptized. You're standing because now all you got to do is answer the question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? The answer is yes, let your feet move with what your mouth has answered. If you are a child of God, you've sinned and you've strayed, you've let him be angry at you and go to bed at night. Will you come? If you're not a child of God, and you know God has been patient with you, will you come? If you are a child of God, and you keep doing what you want to do, we all going to get busted. Eventually. Because everything that's done in darkness will come to light. So how about you come bring your darkness right now to the light? Right now as we sing the song of invitation.